This is The Solid Podcast. I'm John Bruner. And I'm David Craner. Solid is about the new hardware movement, the radical new way that technology in the world around us is being conceived, built, and connected. It's about design, electronics, software, networks, materials, and the horizons of technology, like synthetic biology. David and I are here in Brooklyn talking with Yancy Strickler, who's the co-founder and CEO of Kickstarter. Hey, Yancy. What's up? Thanks so much for joining us. Yeah, thanks for having me. So you are newly the CEO of a public benefit corporation. Correct. I'm kind of new at both of those things. You're uh, newly a CEO and newly, newly public. Well, <laughs> CEO as of 21 months ago. So I guess it's now. It counts now. Yeah. It yeah. counts. I can't be. I can't be new anymore. But the, yes, the, the patina has worn off the yeah. executive <laughs> yeah. bathroom yeah. key. Yeah. All those. All the faults are truly my own. <laughs> uh, yeah. So I, I've been a CEO of Kickstarter since uh, beginning of last year, and then Kickstarter became a benefit corporation uh, about five weeks ago now. Okay. Um, should I explain what that is? Yeah. What can, is a benefit can, corporation? Actually, can you can you tell us about the whole journey? Actually, of of of. Kickstarter and then B Corp and then Benefit Corporation because I was reading about it on the way over here and um, interest like it's it's a little bit complicated. So. It is extremely a little bit complicated. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, well, you know, basically we, you know, we started. My partner Perry had the idea in two thousand one. Um, it really got going in earnest in two thousand six, uh, and. Um, there's always a specific vision for what we wanted to make, which is a platform for people to do creative things that certainly money was the primary measurement to mechanic, but it wasn't meant to be about money. It's like that's a tool to make things. Uh, but when we when we raised um, some investment funding initially from our friends and then once we were live, we raised a little bit of money from more professional people. Um, you know, we communicated to them that we had no desire to sell the company or to ever try to go public. Should, you mm -hmm. know, should we be fortunate enough to have those, you know, to be in a successful position, um, that we didn't desire those outcomes, that we wanted to do this for a really long time, that mm -hmm. we thought that we thought about this as a kind of a public institution where, you know, um, an advanced democracy should have a place for people can put ideas for new things that is a bit of a, not mm -hmm. a sacred space, but like a reserved space, mm -hmm. um, and we liked we liked Kickstarter being that, and, and so we, and that can be both um, you know commercial but uh, special, so not 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 charitable per right. se. Right? Yeah, but, exactly, yeah. exactly. I don't know. Yeah, I don't know what the equivalence would be. I think maybe we all have like our equivalent sort of institutions. I mean, O'Reilly's maybe one mm -hmm. um, uh, within different worlds, but just thinking like you know, this shouldn't be an overly commercialized space. There's there's mm -hmm. certain values mm -hmm. that are important here. So. Uh, we started thinking about a benefit corporation. We started learning about that from uh, a guy named Albert Wenger, who's a partner at Unisquare Ventures, but who is really big and a very, you know, he's a, uh, a very progressive thinker on society. And um, he's always encouraging us to look at it. And he's, he's, he writes a lot about things like minimum income, right? He's a huge, huge supporter of minimum income. Um, yeah, I started reading last night a book called Post Capitalism that I'm going to have to give him a copy of because it's, <laughs> yeah, he'll, he'll dig it. Uh, but um, started looking at a benefit corporation as a, as a different sort of model. And so we started doing a lot of research, and this year became a real focus. And, and basically what a benefit corporation is, it's a, 
a different legal classification where you can start a company this way. It's very simple. You can also reincorporate your company as a benefit corporation, and it's quite intense where mm-hmm. 90 plus percent of your shareholders have to approve, and there's just quite a bit that comes with it. But it, it just allows you to, to write what you should be held accountable to. And mm-hmm. so uh, a traditional for-profit company The general consensus is you're responsible for making as much value for your shareholders as possible. Mm -hmm. Companies have famously been sued for not doing that, Mm -hmm. Craigslist, uh, Ben & Jerry's, things like this. But a benefit corporation uh, mandates actually a dual purpose Mm. of, yes, producing value for shareholders and being a sustainable business, but also producing a material good in society. So we liked that and and thought that could be meaningful and Mm -hmm. liked that by taking a step along those lines, that there would be a piece of paperwork and a building in Delaware that would say that we have to do that and that uh-huh. there's, uh, that has teeth. And and mm-hmm. so social, where, where uh, pursuing your social goals is a, is a defense against uh, your legal obligation to, to maximize profit all the time. Yeah. I mean, normally people- pursuing the social goals also become a legal obligation. Yes. It also becomes a legal obligation. And, you know, obviously many companies do great work on a social level, but on some level, everyone is having to justify it as like, yeah, but it's brand building and we'll make more mm-hmm. money in the long run because we do that. Mm-hmm. And and I, I, underst- I understand that, but but I wanted, we want to do those things because it's the right thing to do. And, and through the process of doing this, there's two different instruments that are uh, have the same name but are quite different. And one is a, uh, a B Corp, mm-hmm. um, which is a, a process we went through last year where you're audited by a nonprofit to ensure that your policies and ways of behaving as a company meet a certain threshold and standard. Um, so that is something that we have done. And the additional, uh, a different thing is a benefit corporation, which is a legal reincorporation of your company. Okay. So people like Etsy and Warby Parker have uh, are B Corps. They've gone through the assessment, uh, but they are not benefit corporations. They are still mm-hmm. traditional for-profit companies that don't have those sorts of uh, requirements. So my year started with an email from my partner, Perry, who had been CEO, is now chairman. And it was an email he sent called Existential Kickstarter. Hmm. And it just <laughs> said, um, you know, we're six years in, uh, or really like 14 years in for uh-huh. him. Mm-hmm. Um, and really, most of the things that we wanted to do when we were working on this idea so long ago have really kind of happened, you know, mm-hmm. and happened like three years ago, where created this and this dreamt up this model for how an idea could find support and exist. That is something that now the now existing culture, even if Kickstarter were to go away, that would still persist, I think, probably mm-hmm. forever mm-hmm. now. And so we we should really consider what are the uh, intellectually honest reasons to continue existing. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. like, what is not a good enough reason? Well, just to make money is definitely not a good reason. That's not how I've lived my life or he has lived his life and I have no interest in ever doing so. It's not to provide a 40% better service than a copycat service. Like mm-hmm, mm-hmm. when you're 80 years old, you're not going to care. You know, that doesn't mm-hmm. really right, right, matter. Right. Faster page views. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Like yeah, it's yeah. A, it's it, it doesn't matter. Um, and so what are the reasons and what and what should we be thinking about? And there are two things we really thought about. One was idealism. Mm-hmm. You know, just we have a strong belief system um, that I don't think is crazy unique, but I think our independence and our ability to do whatever we want is unique. And so how do we use that? How do we think about this as a platform mm-hmm. for representing certain values that we think 
are needed and are not, you know, are not present, especially in the business world. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so the Benefit Corporation came out of that. The other one we, we talked a lot about was innovation. You mm-hmm. know, we, we have a strong product that allows us to be a sustainable business. But uh, if we think about the world of how to help an artist or a creative person make something, you know, we see significant other opportunities and areas to explore. And so there's a moral imperative that we use this opportunity to pursue those things. And so when Perry sent this email, had you already, you know, vowed at that point that uh, Kickstarter would not IPO? Oh, yeah. Yeah. I mean, that that was like, you know, that conversation was about a year ago. The no IPO thing, that was that was very early on. I mean, that's the sort of thing. Our, our main investor, uh, Fred Wilson, um, wrote a blog post about this maybe two years ago where he talked, he remembers that conversation he had with Perry where Perry expressed that and Fred said very candidly, like he said, okay, because he also did, didn't believe him. You know, mm. everyone says that <laughs> yeah. early on yeah, yeah, and then yeah. it changes. That sounds great. Yeah. 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 Good. yeah totally. And sure. But yeah. you've never, you've never had a billion dollars yeah. waved in front of you. <laughs> right, right. <laughs> you know, that would be and, the test. And so, uh, I mean, it's so, it's so funny to be talking about this because it's like such a, you know, you're so fortunate to be, you know, think of these things and like, could Kickstarter really go public now if we want, you know, God knows. Mm-hmm. I have no mm-hmm. idea. Um, but but the way I think about it is that those sorts of outcomes, I think, are kind of prioritizing, especially the ownership of a company over over its community and over mm-hmm. its impact. And I realize you can tell yourself a story around, well, it's more people owning it and being a part of it. And so there's like, mm-hmm. I, I see that angle. And that's probably the angle that I find most interesting. Mm-hmm. But you know, ultimately, I just see situations of people personally enriching themselves and a lot of hunger going out the door, mm-hmm. you know, mm-hmm. and I, I think that for us, um, you know, having that close alignment with the people who who use Kickstarter and with our employees and our friends and our neighbors is mm-hmm. it's just the kind of life that we want to live just for ourselves personally. Yeah. So so it was a, a pretty straightforward thing for um, you and Perry to decide as, as you know, the people who had really built this. How did that 90% of your investors take it? Yeah, we were nervous mm-hmm. um, because it's definitely, you know, while this doesn't, there are no um, economic benefits to doing yeah. this. There are economic disadvantages potentially to doing this, depending on how you write your thing. And we wrote it in a way where there definitely were, where we vowed no tax avoidance and, you know, a number of things that were very like... Mm-hmm. Uh, dampening profitability intentionally. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, and so we weren't sure how people would take that. And there actually is the way this works is that if a shareholder disagrees, um, they have a right to appraisal and to be bought out. And so wow. there is okay. like a, there's a price, there's a literal price. Yeah. There's a, a moment of discernment. Yeah. 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 Which is fair, which uh-huh. is fair. Um, we spend a lot of time educating people, talking to people, but you know, we have, you know, our investors are like 30 investors and then employees and former employees are our, our shareholder base. And, you know, we all know each other really well. Mm-hmm. We have raised very little money. Uh, we have close relationships with pretty much everyone we've raised money from. And so this wasn't a surprise to anybody. Mm-hmm. Uh, so it ended up there wasn't a single dissenting vote and no mm-hmm. one even grumbled. You know, uh-huh. I didn't yeah. even get uh-huh. the like, you have to elbow someone to get their hand go up sort of thing. Everyone, yeah, yeah. everyone felt proud. And I think, yeah. uh, I think in general, we want to see organizations act in more along these lines. And, mm-hmm. uh, and if you, th- if you wish for society to work that way, you know, it should start with you. Right. Mm-hmm. And so, um, there was actually a, just a tremendous amount of enthusiasm that, um, you know, we hoped for, mm-hmm. uh, and we're, we're very pleased to experience. And have you had other companies come to you and say, Hey, this, this made it a lot easier for us to go this route. I mean, had, uh, had, had other companies, uh, 
big household names? Patagonia is the only one. Okay. Patagonia uh, is actually a public benefit corporation. Yeah. Now. Yeah. They were the they were one of the first. They did it in two thousand ten. So um, did, so if every so everybody has their own specific uh, like public good things that they have to do written mm-hmm. into their charters. So like what are what are theirs and like what are yours and like is it just very specific to the type of business? Yeah, like- it is. We, there, theirs is great. I mean, theirs is around um, you know environmental sustainability. Um, you know, neutral sort of policies. Uh, they have a great one that they will share their proprietary secrets with their competitors if they believe it will benefit society. Mm-hmm. If they can develop some technological solution yeah. related to sustainability. Yeah, it or, says that they yeah. will do that. Uh, so I thought that was pretty incredible. Uh, yeah, but theirs is quite nice. It's like five points. Mm-hmm. Uh, ours is like uh, four big categories. One is just around our mission, supporting creative projects and what that means. Uh, it mandates that we engage with the environments and conditions facing artists and creators generally, not just mm-hmm. like what Kickstarter is. If that's not extracurricular, that is what we do. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, so this would be like uh, uh, freedom of speech issues or- Yeah, um, or like getting artists healthcare. You okay. know? I mean, just like, just really thinking around what is what is hard for the creative class to be able to practice. And, and I think with a lot of systems and infrastructures and a lot of flux at the moment, this is especially important. And so we're just saying- you know, we are an organization that's going to plant a flag here and just say we are going to fight for favorable conditions for individual artists and creators, and that's just a part of what we do. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, so that's like that's still developing, but that is mandated. Um, uh, that our operations will reflect our values, and here, mm-hmm. uh, you know, no tax avoidance, um, you know, and strong environmental practices, fighting government requests for data. We will never sell data. You know, we will not lobby for policies that are to our economic benefit, but not of the benefit of our community. Mm-hmm. And the last two are another one about supporting arts and creativity, supporting less commercial artists in particular, uh, and also fighting inequality. Um, hmm. And so trying to have a very active voice there. And those those will ladder up to um, finally a, a, a commitment that we will donate 5% of our profits annually to supporting arts and music education and to fight systemic inequality. So we'll oh, make wow. our first donation and it's coming January. Um, Have you picked so, the recipients? No, we're starting that now. We're starting that now. Have some ideas. Okay. Um, you know, 5% is a real number. You know, this year we'll, it's a chunk of change. Mm-hmm. And, mm-hmm. you know, and just just like the idea that as the platform grows, that is something that is supporting a broader community than just us. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And it's an interesting way to look at it, too, because it's not, I mean, the, donating 5% of your profits is philanthropic, but taken all together, they are, you know, a, a reasonably self-interested kind of support for the community that in turn supports you, Yeah. but also sort of philanthropic. So, so you guys seem to be sort of, you know, on that, um, at yeah, that intersection. I mean, what, you, what you see in our, in our charter overall is, you know, it's our, it's our proposal of this is what we think it is to be, um, to be an organization that's trying to you know, actively have a positive impact. And, mm-hmm. you know, we, we borrowed a lot from Patagonia. We talked a lot to them. You know, we, we did a tremendous amount of research on this. And um, and I'm sure the next organization that does it will do an even better job. You sure, know, sure. and I, I look forward to seeing that. Uh, and so I'm now, you know, doing a lot of talks, um, encouraging, uh, especially encouraging young entrepreneurs or people forming new businesses to look at this as a mm-hmm. way of starting because it allows you, you know what it does? It allows you to capture your idealism from the very beginning. Mm-hmm. And, and mm-hmm. that that idealism will fade with time, especially as things get harder. And, you know, this is where 
uh, an entrepreneur finds themselves in a very hard position of having to make some real compromised choices. And, mm-hmm. and, and that is not easy for anybody. I feel fortunate to have not had to face that, you know, at a, at a truly existential level to date. Mm-hmm. Um, but it ensures that those things that drove you to start this project for the first place are things that are always present in the organization. Mm-hmm. And it's just so easy for forces to 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 quell those sorts of, you know, your more passionate idealistic desires uh-huh. where it just becomes more about like managing the balance sheet. And hopefully this will all make it easier too for people who um, are setting out now to, to become public benefit corporations and maybe don't have uh, the relationships with their investors that you guys enjoy and kind of need to throw out a couple of, you know, reputable household names that have... Uh, that have made this transition, comps, you know, that you can talk about. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, the the being able to say to an entrepreneur, you know, to a to a potential investor, hey, we're going to do the Patagonia Kickstarter route. Yeah. We're benefit corporations. That's a for profit company, but also means we have this other thing. Precedent has been established. Precedent is huge, and we we think about this. I mean, think about this as well with not IPOing or trying to sell. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, um, you know, someone will ask, well, what about how do your investors mm-hmm. make their money back? Like, how do you think about that? And there again, we think about how do we template ourselves? So, you know, our, our plans are a very traditional dividend profit sharing mm-hmm. kind of model mm-hmm. and one that we will start very, very soon. And and again, we hope that we can sort some things out about reasonable ways to set these things up. And, you know, eventually I'd love to have a moment where we're just very transparent around this entire system that we've created for ourselves, hoping that it could be a template that someone with a similar mentality could adopt and improve upon. Yeah. And, you know, I, I just just really want to see uh, models different than the uh, hyper growth, hyper capitalist, you know, uh, sort of models that I, I don't think are ultimately good for anyone other than the people investing money. Mm-hmm. It's a nice middle ground, right? Because usually you think of like, there's this huge dichotomy in business between like, I'm going to go to a startup and make billions of dollars or like, oh, I don't really like money that much. I want to start like <laughs> right. a nonprofit. <laughs> right. And like, there's no middle ground. And I think that there's, there's a lot of people who like want to be like, okay, it's okay to make some money and to like become comfortable and like enjoy your success at doing something special that other people like. But also there's also a way to make room in there for that not being your only goal and like allow you to, you know, use your success to push for some kind of social change that you feel strongly about. And it's kind of like a, you know, a middle yeah. ground. There's nothing wrong with making money. It's just yeah. a question of, you know, what do you do with it? I, and like what do you do with your weight once you establish it? Yeah, I, I love that you said that because this is – I'm thinking so much about this right now because I think that there's a system that we've all been opted into. You know, we didn't sign up for this newsletter, but we're yeah. getting it all the time. <laughs> and it's and we've been opted into this system that is hyper capitalist that uh, encourages us all to think about financial growth, that thinks of the world as a billion independent actors trying to get what's theirs, mm-hmm. and just trusting in that. and And it leads to a lot of conditions and generally kind of a same same culture mm-hmm. and Dwayne reads on every street corner. Mm-hmm. And you know, it just it just creates a condition. And so, you know, if you think about that, then you get discouraged and you think, all right, well, what's the opt-out? And opt-out is, you know, oh, I might delete my Facebook account today. Or yeah. I think I'm mm-hmm. going to go back to the Razor phone, like never mm-hmm. mind the smartphone <laughs> thing. Or it's like, I'm going to be a homesteader, you know? Right. Yeah. Right. And it's always very dramatic. And it's very yeah. satisfying to say and think about. And, you know, I know one or two people in my life who have gone all the way with those. And I feel some level of envy, but also think, yeah, I don't know if I can do that. Mm-hmm. I don't know if mm-hmm. I'm that person. And so, what is that other option, you know? And and I think it's, I think it starts with resistance. 
Mm-hmm. You know, I think it starts with very active resistance, being very clear about what you want to reject and how you bound your, bind yourself. But I think it's resist and thrive, right? Mm-hmm. It's, it's just carving out, this is my code for how I think. This is how, this is the way in which I want to operate and grow in the world. And I will do everything I can within those boundaries. Mm-hmm. And the examples I think about are, you know, it is Patagonia is a good one. Um, 37 Signals in Chicago is a great example mm-hmm. of a company mm-hmm. that operates with a code. The people who make Basecamp, The right? people yeah. who make Basecamp. Um, or like Fugazi, you know, if you like <laughs> punk rock, yeah, you know, yeah. <laughs> playing shows for all ages for five bucks mm-hmm. for 30 years. I mean, that's a that's a code. Yeah. And, and, and they are, you know, one of the most important artists of you know the past 30 years and so uh, i think it starts with resistance and and the the beauty of this is that um you know these sort of models are harder in that you're not just trying to make every chart go up and to the right mm-hmm. you're not trying to make as much money as possible so you you can't hold yourselves accountable to the same giant scorecard that everyone else does which is like you know the gamification of life is money and mm-hmm. so you're just mm-hmm. like i'm kind of that is not my game so it's harder in that way uh but it's actually, and I've really experienced this even just in the month after PBC, it's harder, but it's easier. Mm-hmm. And it's easier because you experience a lot less internal conflict, mm-hmm. you know, because you just, if you think something's the right thing to do, you just do it, you mm-hmm. know, and, and you, you, you really are able to act from a place of values. You're not having to negotiate what's the right way to express this opinion. You How do just, I put a number on it? Yeah. You yeah. just, it, it's a lot, it just has a lot more clarity and yeah. it, for me. Yeah, this is this is maybe a, a stump speech. I'm, you know, trying to develop <laughs> about how do I how do you help people think about, you know, the opt-in opt-out or, you know, create that path and I Yeah. The I don't know what the name for that path is, but I just think of I just keep thinking of the word resistance, mm-hmm, you mm-hmm. know, and I, I don't think resistance has to mean that you're a non-participant. Yeah. Um and so uh, I don't know. I I think I think there's something there. I think there's something important to explore there. Yeah. Uh and I think a lot of other people are are in that same place. Um, and I look at, I don't know, politically, a lot, a lot of the ways in the world, I feel like we're on the cusp potentially, but, but maybe it feels like this every five years and then it all just sinks back into the same stuff and you right. know, you get nowhere. Yeah. Who, who knows? Right, right. Who knows? An analogy that comes to mind is like creative commons mm-hmm. where you have, um, people who aren't satisfied with the way that intellectual property is, is characterized traditionally, but rather than kind of like marching off to Vermont and having a commune, um, they they find a defensible legal and organizational mechanism yeah. for promoting a better mm-hmm. alternative. So it strikes me as something like that. Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. That's a that's a great example. And you know, but and what's funny about that is that you know, Creative Commons has had its hype cycles of like it's going to change. You know, everything will mm-hmm. be well, we're moving mm-hmm. towards that world. And of course, that doesn't happen because there are tremendous forces that are financially optimized to not follow a Creative Commons path. And so, you know, maybe there's some sense that uh, a model like that is not or somewhat of a failure, didn't reach its full potential because of those reasons. But I, I don't think that's true. I mean, I think it is it is an active form of participatory resistance that, you know, we hope will grow. We hope that other forces will, you know, mm-hmm. conspire to to make that idea of a commons mm-hmm. more mm-hmm. prevalent. But yeah, exactly. That's a great that's a great example. In terms of pushing back against this optimization that you mentioned, um, or where, you know, uh, money is the scorekeeping system and the gamification of life, as as you said. It seems like one approach would be to find other things to quantify than than just money, right? Because money is a very easy thing to quantify, and, and and you put it in a balance sheet, and it comes out. So, have you have you quantified these um, public benefit goals? Do you do you measure them? What is that experience like? Yeah, we we will. I mean, uh, we'll be doing a, a an annual public assessment starting in 2017. The process of determining, you know, when we crafted these, we came up with draft 
metrics for each. Mm-hmm. You know, so there is something. Uh, we will see how meaningful that is. We'll probably do a dry run this coming year, looking back at 2015, and then you know, 2017 will be totally mm-hmm. open about it. So we're going to try. But it's but it's true. I mean, it's you know the 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 measurement of something absolutely has a has an impact on mm-hmm. you know how you operate in regards to it. And even with Kickstarter, you know, uh, very early on, I remember trying to make people care about what we were doing and uh, would talk about like talk about some of the things that have been made through the platform and some of the projects I was most excited about. And you know, what I felt like I would get back was like a sort of a patronizing pat on the head of like, oh, mm-hmm. that's cute. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And there was a point where we realized, oh, we should talk about there being, you know, $5 million has moved through the system. And suddenly mm-hmm. that mm-hmm. brought legitimacy. And, you know, I, I understand it because it, it demonstrates scale and and in a way that uh, a lot of our individual projects would not seem to merit the attention. But as a phenom- as a collective phenomenon, you look at it quite differently. But yeah, even I f- will find myself you know, returning to those things mm-hmm. to justify the value of our community. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so it's a hard, it's a hard universe to truly escape. Um, but yeah, absolutely. We will be measuring our impact and, and, and you know, and, and hopefully we find in there different sorts of numbers for us to really focus on or, or think about, you know, the kind of impact we're having. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And what sort of advice do you have for, for say, a young entrepreneur who perhaps doesn't have um, the leverage that you guys have enjoyed in this process from being, you know, a really Already important successful. company and, and very successful, yeah. um, clearly going to be very good to your investors? Um, you know, let's like rewind a few years and say you're working on a product that is not necessarily a product uh, associated with the principled life. You know, you're, you've got a three-person startup and you make a social media analytics platform, but you want to have the principled life. Um, how do you have that conversation with your investors and, and start to talk about uh, the priorities of the company as different from from the investors and escape that kind of pat on the head and, yeah. <laughs> oh, you, you, you a, don't quite understand? That's a great question. Well, I would say, first, I would say you can start this way without any costs. Like when you file your first paperwork in 33 states, you can choose a benefit corporation as sort of a, instead of a typical for-profit corporation and the same $250 filing fee and same mm-hmm. paperwork mm-hmm. and whatever. So it, starting from scratch, there's no cost. Um, the other thing I would say in terms of um, if your product doesn't seem to lend itself to that sort of benefit, um, I don't think that matters. You know, if you think of what is like the, the 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 company we most strongly associate with social good in America, I would say Ben and Jerry's, and they make mm-hmm. ice cream. <laughs> you know, imagine a soda company that is like yeah, the, yeah. that's a, that's a basically the same thing as you know an Packaged ice cream sugar. company. Yeah, 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 totally. And so. You know, it, in a way, it doesn't matter. If it's a core part of like what you think about, what you care about, it can be there even if what you're doing is creating a, you know, a social media platform. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, I mean, I, I think, you know, uh, likely to, to get an existing investor to come around to this, you're, you're, you're probably going to have to adopt some of the traditional language where you're going to say, listen, in the long run, this business mm-hmm. will be in a better place because millennials care about this. Mm-hmm. And, you know, mm-hmm. the, you could try that sort of argument. Uh, but overall, you know, it just it doesn't really add any uh, any undue burden upon a business. It just demands a certain sort of thinking. And the way that the way I've thought about it is, um, you know, when you're when you're running a business or just doing anything entrepreneurial, you will face numerous moments of existential crisis where you encounter a situation that you know puts away a principle that you've held to the ultimate test, mm-hmm. and those are moments of truth. 
And, um, and I, you know, I think we've acquitted ourselves fairly well in those situations, but it's easier to see in retrospect than it was at the moment what to do. And if I look at our charter and look at and think about what it means to be a PBC, there's a clear uh, North Star in all these situations now where it's like, well, mm-hmm. I know I can't do any of those sorts of things. Mm-hmm. And, and even something like... Um, a couple of weeks ago when the White House reached out to us asking if we would be a part of the UN's uh, project to support Syrian refugees, you know, we've we've had invitations, uh, not at that level, but we've had invitations like that in the past and have always wanted to act and want to sort of bend our rules about mm-hmm, mm-hmm. charity to us as a platform acting. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's always kind of been like, well, you know, is this the right time, whatever. And after PBC, I just actually felt like you know, we have a mandate to be courageous. Mm-hmm. And and this is, you know, this this needs to blow past any doubt and actually think about the real purpose of our uh of our organization and what it is, you know, what it is how it is that we can be positive upon society. And so that actually where in the past I think that would have been a week long agonizing decision mm-hmm. was a decision I made in ten minutes, you mm-hmm. know, and mm-hmm. called back and said, Yeah, let's let's figure it out. So mm-hmm. It's it it is it's like what I said before about it being harder but easier. It's it's empowering because it's just it tells you at your deepest level, you know, where you need to operate from. Do you see this as kind of a part of a process of like reevaluating what the goalposts uh, represent for a good life altogether? Hmm. Um, you know, no IPO, public benefit corporation. A lot of the the projects that are supported by Kickstarter are people who um, who aspire to execute a, a creative process that they're passionate about rather than necessarily, you know, launching a huge thing. Yep. You see, uh, um, for instance, Bryce Roberts, who is uh, Tim O'Reilly's, one of Tim O'Reilly's partners at O'Reilly Alpha Tech Ventures, has started a program called Indie VC, which is a, a form of VC investment that at the outset promises that you can buy them out and and not, you know, exit in a, in a particularly splashy way. Mm-hmm. Do you sort of think of a, a connection between all of these that's like, reevaluating what it is to be successful? Definitely, definitely. I mean, I think that, um, you know, there needs to be a diversity of approved outcomes. You Mm -hmm. know, if everyone is just optimizing to be a unicorn and to cash out, I don't know, then you're treating the public as like this raw material to be harvested for personal wealth and Mm -hmm. Ferraris and really high-priced therapists to make you feel better about your bad decisions. Uh, And, you know, I I think it's destructive. And and I I do think that there is a growing class of resistance that that is the future. I mean, what was so important uh, I thought with Benefit Corporation and how it was communicated, and I don't know if this this was successfully done or not, but to be clear that this is not granola, this is futuristic. Mm-hmm. You know, this is not this is this is not the same lefty radicals sitting in a square. This is actually reimagining uh, a different way for our society and capitalism to work. And you know, it's not it's like very, it's very capitalistic, but I mean, it's just like seems to me like you want to use the tools of business and capitalism that have already been established that people have used for, you know, hundreds of years, but to use those tools to put pressure on moving society towards something that you want it to be. Yeah, absolutely. Like you build a business, you become powerful, you make money, and then you get to choose how you want to affect change upon society. And so in a good position to do that. Yeah. Well, I think, you know, there's, I I saw when our announcement went out, I read a couple comments or tweets saying, um, like, why don't you guys just sell out and then like give some of your money away to charity like a normal person does. Mm. And, you know, 
The issue with that is that you're just reinforcing the same system in that scenario. You know, like sure you're selling out and sure like, yeah, I'll give, I'll do the Warren Buffett, I'll give away half my wealth or whatever, Mm -hmm. but still you're reinforcing the same hegemonic powers and you're still, you know, nothing is truly changing there. Mm -hmm. I mean, yes, maybe Mm -hmm. there are more mosquito nets and, you know, things like that, that are, that are very meaningful, but at a macro level, aren't you just a participant? You're not continuously working to do more for yeah. society. Yeah, yeah. Ch- yeah changing yeah. the very mechanism. So yeah. I don't, to you know. Accumulate, accumulate good deeds for society in addition to money. Yeah. <laughs> so I don't know, you know, I, I, strong, I have a strong conviction that this is a, a noble and worthy experiment, you know. Mm-hmm. I can't say that I know that it's right all the way through, you know. I can't say what a 60-year-old me would say listening to this right now and probably like how naive I seem and <laughs> Probably that those people are listening now, but um, but I think that you know idealism as a driver of of action is just is just so important, and and I think comes very naturally to a lot of people, and, and it's something that we kind of censor out to be successful. But then, what the hell does success mean if that's if those are the terms? And so, yeah, to your question about what success is, I mean, I think about this a lot, like. You know, what is a more valid life? Like the tycoon who has a builds a huge empire, or someone that you know uh, operates a farm and has a family that loves them. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And you know, I have a strong suspicion about who's happier there. You know, but we tend to judge lives through the course of history, and you know, there are eighty billion trillion dead people, and we remember a thousand of them. So that's what we model ourselves on are those a thousand names that we know. But I, yeah, I don't know that that's a better life. I don't know that that's a more successful life. Thank you so much, Yancy Strickler, for, for joining us. It's been terrific. Yeah, thanks a lot. Very yeah. interesting. Yeah, thank you. Thank you for having me. We'll leave the listeners with that thought. <laughs> <laughs> for links and other information related to this episode, visit radar.oreilly.com. Yancy Strickler is speaking at Next Economy, O'Reilly's conference about the future of business, in San Francisco, November 12 and 13. To register, visit O'Reilly.com slash Next Economy. Until next time, I'm David Craner. And I'm John Bruner.